Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Lotus Life Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Fisher, and it's so wonderful to have you here. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your attention. It means everything to me. Today on this podcast, I wanted to talk about suffering and offer a little bit of insight of what the yogis say about suffering and what we can utilize that for in our lives. And spoiler alert, it's compassion and love. So we're going to take the journey through suffering and use that as a lens for understanding how to actually become more compassionate and loving beings. At first glance, they seem really far away, don't they? Like, here's my suffering. And when I'm suffering, I am the furthest away from love and compassion and peace and understanding. And when I'm in love and compassion and understanding, I'm the furthest away from suffering. And so that feels really good, right? Like I like being far away from my suffering. I don't know about you, <laughs> but, and, and when I'm in my suffering, it's not like I want to be far away from love and peace. No, I actually want to get to love and peace. A lot of this comes down to being content with where we are. And although that's not like the first step in to becoming a compassionate person while you're suffering, it does have a baseline of, hey, listen, embracing where you are right now, as crazy as it is, as like awful as it is, how, how upset it might make you, wanting the moment that you're in, desiring it because you realize there's no other way to be. Like the now is literally as the moment is. When you really awaken to that, when you feel that fully, you feel that, hey, there's really no other way to be. Therefore, this moment is the step forward I need. I need to embrace this to become completely wrapped up in the now. When you do that, when you, I just did it the other day when I was driving in the car and was having a stressful day, kind of a stressful week. Um, you know, the bills are coming in and thinking about money and planning a lot of awesome digital content and courses and just a lot of things are kind of colliding at once. And because I'm human, I got stressed. So as I'm driving into the studio, I had the feeling, and I could have just stayed there, right? I could have stayed in my suffering. I could have stayed in this feeling of angst and anger and worry and concern. But my higher mind, my wisdom mind, my consciousness caught wind of this and said, okay, hold on. There's another way of being. And now that's always a question. I've trained myself to ask this question always, which is, is there another way to be in this moment? Here's one way, but is there another? And it turns out that just about always, yeah, there's not only one other way of being, there's a bunch of other ways of being. And what that shows me is that I have choice. Could you imagine being in the middle of an argument and suddenly you ask yourself that question and you feel that there's like sympathy sitting right there, but we're so focused on anger as the only way to be that we were completely ignorant to the other choices that were there for us. Maybe there was empathy for the other person's situation. Maybe there is, you know, wisdom that this might not be the best way. So let's pause for a second. Like the wisdom to just 
stop and breathe. Maybe it's love and compassion actually ends up coming through because this is an argument with your child or or your significant other. And you feel for a second the absolute love that you have. And that totally shifts the conversation. It doesn't change the problem, but it changes your relationship to the problem. Whenever we are in crisis, sometimes it's very hard to see any other way. You see the moment, you see the crisis, you see the sadness, and it overwhelms you. It's a totally normal, valid response. I remember when my former husband got hit by a car, we were riding our bicycles, and and uh, I mean, I can remember it like it's yesterday, he was hit by from behind, and he flew over his handlebars on his bike, and and he hit his head in the pavement, and he almost died right there on the spot. And luckily, and I didn't have my cell phone on me at the time, luckily a neighbor, a, a pedestrian nearby had a cell phone called ambulance, got him there in time and saved him his life. But he did have some traumatic brain injury as a result of that. That moment, I mean, I couldn't even give the cop a report of what happened. I was just like, you know, so in the moment, like in a daze, in shock. So if, if you've ever been in any sort of experience like that, I, you know what shock feels like. But so we can't really do anything in that moment. We have to feel it. We just have to be the state that we're in. But a few days after, when the shock wears off a little bit and our higher presence, our, our prefrontal cortex, our consciousness starts to have some breathing room, that's when we can start to ask these questions. Is there another way to be with this moment? And that's really critical because in really intense moments like that, being at the hospital and talking with doctors, talking with friends and family, talking with his parents and figuring out care once he gets out of the hospital, those things required a very different mind and very different way of being that the scared Kim that was there at that moment. Scared, tragically upset Kim who was just didn't know if her husband at the time was going to live or die still, was terrified. But that Kim didn't have to be the only Kim. There was another way of being in the moment where I could have empathy for the other family members who are very sad by his accident too, right? Like there's a bonding that happens. And that's what happens when we are in a state of suffering. At first glance, we're terrified and it feels like it's just us then we immediately start to feel connected to the other beings who were affected by this. You see this time and time again with natural disasters. They're terrible. They're terrible and they're expensive and they throw countries into debt, not to mention the thousands and hundreds of lives that are lost by natural disasters. It's, it's catastrophic on all levels. And, and to the survivors as well, their family members killed homes destroyed. I mean, it's terrible. But in those moments, the world pays attention and the world wakes up through its suffering. We feel the most incredible human emotion we can feel that we're designed to feel, empathy. We feel that for our fellow human beings and animals. And think about all those crazy fires that were on Australia or in New Zealand that long ago and Australia. And, and the fires were insane. All of those animals were trying to escape for their lives. That was tragic. So at those times, 
what do we do? We come to help. We come to rescue. We send donations in. Some of us actually travel and get there and volunteer. We do what we can because the suffering has brought us to a place of compassion. It brought us to a place where we remember how connected we are to each other. To a place where we feel the humanness, the quality of the the precious life that's in that being immediately. And we are thrown into the question, what can I do to help? Which is selfless service, which is seva, which is karma yoga. It's another branch of yoga completely, by the way, that has nothing to do with posture. It has everything to do with selfless service. It's ironic that some of the most beautiful places you'll ever be in your emotional body are the moments that are the most saddest. When you think about your loved ones dying, which they eventually will, and you dying, that's, there's, there's a reaction to that, which is fearful and sad. But then if you stay with that feeling a little bit longer, what happens? We suddenly, our eyes swell up with tears. We think, oh my gosh, I'm really going to miss so-and-so and and I'm going to miss them and I'm going to miss them. And oh my gosh, you know, like that's could be sooner than later. And, And again, there's a fear thought, but then it propels us into this feeling of compassion where suddenly we got to call them up and make dinner plans. You know, hey, let's go for that walk that you've been wanting to do. Let's go and do that sport, that activity you always wanted to do. Hey, I just wanted to call and hear your voice on the phone. Moments of real sadness and fear can drastically and quickly move us into a state of love and compassion. Ahimsa, ahimsa is compassion, one of the yamas of yoga. And I really think that that quality of love, if we want to think about love as having to like, there's happy love, there's, there's, um, you know, there's event love or like, oh my gosh, a baby was just born or we got married or graduation, these big life events. And then there's like a consistent love of like, oh, I love you every day the same when, when life's just happening, you know, and no big deal, but it's just like a consistent love. And then there's a quality of love where I realize you are not going to be here one day. The impermanence of life sets in. And yes, it's sad. And yes, it's scary. And it's awkward to think about at times, but you got to feel it. If anything, you listening to this podcast, I want you to feel it. Be brave. Be brave and do the human thing, which is feel your fucking feelings. <laughs> okay. Feel them. Don't stop just because it's an icky or weird feeling. Train yourself to, to hold space for these sad emotions. Train yourself to see that you will get through it. You'll survive your sadness. You always will. You'll survive your grief. Uh, I've had family members and friends pass away. I have a grandfather that's on his way out right now as well. And, and I'm no stranger to death. And the grief is real and it's poignant and it's awful and it's awkward, but you get through it. And the same is through a tragedy. But the quality of love that exists there 
as you heal is more powerful than anything. I mean, think about the amount of people that come together for natural crisis, for global crisis, for natural disasters. It moves millions of people. That's the power of suffering. The suffering itself is tragic, but the emotional response it brings us to is love. Now, my hope and my question for you is, you know, how do we get there as a humanity without the trigger of suffering? How do we embrace that empathy that I want to help you and serve you even when you're fine and I am fine, even when there's no big tragedy? And that's a whole nother level of spiritual path and spiritual work that really starts with a daily practice mindfulness-based practice, seeing yourself connected to all beings around you and meditating upon that, focusing on that until you feel it in your heart and in your body. Conceptualizing doesn't give us the emotion, right? I mean, you, you can look at natural disaster on the news, but that's not the only thing that's happening, right? You're feeling the response of the body and the emotions. You get the news that someone passed away, you hear it. And then there's the emotional response of the body. So if we want to bring ourselves into a state of compassion without the trigger of suffering, we could practice it by reminding ourselves of all the incredible qualities of life that we will miss when we're gone. Thinking about death is a really beautiful doorway into feeling the breadth of of human emotion and love and compassion and empathy being a couple of them that come from that. So I highly encourage you as as weird as that sounds to to think on occasion um, about your death, to think about the impermanence of life, to think about the impermanence of of this moment, right? Like on a micro, micro scale, you might be loving this podcast right now, but it will end. You're loving the meal you're eating, but it will end. Suddenly there's no food left. You're loving your job as you know, you quit one day and that ends. Like things end, things have a, a, a death in a way all the time. And so we can also practice our awareness and mindfulness of being with the death of our meal. <laughs> as funny and weird as that sounds, but the ending, the ending of things, the ending of a yoga pose, the ending of a yoga class, the ending of Shavasana that no one wants to get up out of. It's so freaking relaxing. Right? the end of a marriage and the end of someone's life, right? There's all these different gradients and flavors of things ending. So we can practice on a very small level of appreciating a meal, how delicious it was now that it's gone or start at the beginning as the meals being prepared. You know, you're, you're so aware of how incredible this meal is, not because you're about to eat it and taste it. And not even because when you eat it and taste it, it's delicious, but you're aware as you're cooking that you will eat it, taste it, and then it will end. It will cease to be. And so it's this beautiful moment that has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And and I'm I'm going off on a tangent here, but it it is all related. So I hope this is making sense um, to you and, and that you're relating to this and this is serving you. But really the bigger picture here is we can practice love with suffering as being the trigger, 
It's a beautiful way to practice it. It's a beautiful way to feel the realness and, and the love that comes from the human experience of suffering. We can also practice love without the trigger of suffering, such as being simply with the end of an activity and being with the beginning of an activity, knowing that it will end. And so the next time that you start anything, cooking a meal is a lovely place to start or the beginning of a conversation, have the awareness that this is impermanent, that this is transient. And for this moment in time, I have this with you. And it too will pass. It will end. And let that pull you into the moment where you can feel you are one with what's happening. Let it pull you out of the mind. Let it extract you out of our busy thinking monkey mind and come down into home, into the body where you can rest in the now and truly be with the moment. I want to say that I put, I put a million dollars if I had it on betting that the person that can do that, the person that practices being present and therefore appreciating things is going to mourn well, is going to suffer well, because what you're doing is you're practicing because entangled in the love of your meal is, is the realization that it's going to end. And there's a, there's a slight sting there. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? There's a slight sting there of, oh my gosh, it'll cease. It, it, won't, it won't be here at some point. And you know, it's, it's more pronounced with your, when people or pets, like, oh my goodness, I love you so much. I was just doing this with Brandon the other day. He was like randomly like, when I die, if I die before you, will you, will you please feed the ducks? You know, go to a park and feed, feed ducks and, in my honor. And I started bawling because I was like, one, that's the cutest thing I've ever heard. And yeah, duh, I will do that for you. No shit. I will of course do that for you. I was going to do that anyway for you because you love, he loves ducks. But the other thing I I was like, oh my God, yeah, you're going to die one day. And that sucks. I don't ever want to be without him. I don't, you know? So like, <laughs> he felt so bad for making me cry. But, you know, it illustrates my point that the love I have for Brandon, the love that our partnership brings is so incredible that and I feel that it brings me so much joy. But at the same time, there's a, uh, a flavor, a, a feeling of, man, that's going to suck when it ends, one of us passes on because this is so beautiful. So I get to be with this full experience of why I think love really is at the truest human level, which is to be a blend of beauty and ugliness of satisfaction and discomfort of joy and sadness and all of our opposites they get blended and muddied and it's just one big ball of human experience so i'll back up here and say that you know to kind of recap practice being in the moment and really appreciating things while you have them by thinking about how there'll be a day that you won't have them 
And that puts you in a position to be very present with the moment. And because you're present, you'll appreciate it. You'll get the hit of dopamine and 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 uh, all the other neurotransmitters that goes along with connection and oxytocin and, and things like this, and um, and and really brings you into a state of peace and euphoria. And your brain really likes being present too. You'll you'll get those really good feelings in your body, like you've connected. And then when when the bigger things happen in life, such as death or divorce or big tragedies or crisis or, um, or, or, you know, vaccination or not vaccination and COVID. When we come into these really big macro crises, we have a baseline practice. Is there another way to respond? And how can I be with things as they are now? And practice sort of micro grieving in a sense, because I know that one day this won't be here too. And as you do that, your capacity to hold space for those big ass emotions and all the sadness of it grows. It's like a muscle, right? Your your ability to make space for for life's big challenges and big feelings of grief, they take practice like a muscle. The more you practice it, the stronger your boundaries, your arms will be to hold all that. And you'll be very surprised by how far you come in a practice every single day of this mindfulness, just by being aware of the beginning and the middle and the end of something like a meal, how you're actually practicing awareness. And that awareness is what really becomes the backup power for you when tragedy becomes our reality which is inevitable on many levels for us. So we have to have these practices in place. I hope this episode serves you. I really enjoy talking about this with you. It's, it's important to talk about the, the gray areas, the shadowy areas of life and, and what yoga can offer us in terms of coping with and really embracing and stepping into it. You can do it. You know, you can hold it, but with practice, it gets easier. Holding space for these really interesting, nuanced, and difficult, at times difficult emotions. Love you guys. Thank you so much for being here and listening, and I'll see you next time.